back for another edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm your host, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer, and joined, as every week, by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Terry, let's get right into the big story of the week, the skunk that was loose at First Energy Stadium on Sunday. <laughs> I don't well, know if you saw it. <laughs> it probably, ahead. that's what it took to beat Tom Grady. It's a good thing the Browns won because I was just thinking you're in the game. How many oh, leads we would have seen oh, in stories about the Browns weren't the only thing that stunk Sunday. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I mean, even even the skunks now. I mean, all that stuff. But um, if you're uh, if you're into skunk uh, tracking, Hayden Grove, one of our colleagues who works on our social team, did a really fun video where he tracked the skunk out of the stadium. It was in there eating peanuts and whatever it could find to eat and then made its way out. But that got me thinking, Terry, have you ever covered a game where there was some kind of an animal on the field or something crazy happened? Like, Well, like it was a unique animal. And to show you how long ago it was, the game was played in Yuma, Arizona in the early 80s. I was covering the uh, Indians for the Plain Dealer. And Jerry Davzinski was a shortstop. At that point, the San Diego Padres were playing in Yuma. And training in Yuma, which is right on the you know Mexican border down there and everything else. So in the middle of the game, not a lot of fans are at the game in Yuma. This roadrunner came and Whoa. landed on the field and by Zibzinski. And it's like he was like shooing it. And finally, the Dibber, Colin Wood's own, Cleveland State, ended up chasing the roadrunner showing that he probably could outrun a roadrunner unless a roadrunner <laughs> was particularly scared. He just sort of sauntered off and finally took took off so that was it and then i don't remember why but after the game we had written sheldon Oker from the beacon journal and i and there were a couple other writers and my wife roberta we went out and there were some side diamonds and decided to like throw batting practice and just you know mess around and the roadrunner came back he landed in the outfield and by the way, I mean, the skunk may be cute, but look, this isn't Roadrunner, and I love the Roadrunner cartoons, so there you go. Yeah, the uh, the Dibber was lucky that a giant anvil didn't come out of the sky yeah, and land yeah, on him, right? Yeah. Like in the old He cartoons. was, he was, yeah. I, Acme, uh, Acme Incorporated. <laughs> that's right, yeah, that was what it was. And then uh, just, I also was thinking when you were telling the story, um, Paul Hoynes, when he was covering the uh, Indians in Arizona about 15 years ago, there was a snake in the press box. Yeah, I remember that, and that was that was of... actually that was Winter Haven. Oh, was I it was really there for okay. that? Yeah, I forgot about that. I came in a day or two earlier after that, and you know, they're in Central Florida. They got some serious snakes. They got alligators. They got serious snakes. So it was a big because they had a picture of a big black thing. I didn't want to mess around because right behind the uh, ballpark there was a was a big lake, and there were some gators in there. So. Um, Fortunately, I was missed the snake, but I did see the um, the Roadrunner. Well, that's a good one. All right, Terry. Well, let's get into the Browns. We were just talking about the uh, the squirrel. I mean, the squirrel, mm-hmm. the skunk in the stadium. Uh, big win for the Browns on Sunday over the Buccaneers. I, I think not just because it was a mark in the win column, but also because of what it did to put some wind in their sails in terms of the franchise, the locker room faith in the coaching staff, you know, they beat a team with a really good quarterback that has a very good defense and they found a way to win with some big plays down the end. Uh, what did that win mean for that team? And you were down there at the game and, and what was kind of the vibe you got and, and where are you at with everything? Well, before the game, it was like one of those 
coming towards the end of the season, Browns game, it was gloomy, it was gray, the wind was whipping the uh, rain all over the place. It wasn't super cold, but it was nobody really wanted to sit out in that stuff to watch a bad team, and that's really what was going on. So they go into the game, and they're you know they're three and six, and Brady's there, and it just the game plotted along and plotted along, and there were a couple points where I thought, well, they're going to lose this one. Uh, different things happen. Field goal gets missed. Um, they have trouble moving the ball, and then all of a sudden the defense. And I've been a big critic of Joe Woods. The last six possessions, going back to late in the third quarter, they just shut Tampa down. I mean, Brady couldn't do anything. And meanwhile, the Browns kept hanging in there. And, of course, Njoku makes the great catch. And, and then in overtime, um, one of my new favorite players, and not just because he's good, I just love the way he can conducts himself, um, which is Amari Cooper. You know, you don't hear the Browns talk about tough, smart, accountable anymore, but I was thinking of the three heroes in that game. And I'll throw Njoku in there, too. The old tough, you know, Tough, smart, accountable. You had Jacoby Brissett. You had Chubb. In fact, the guy wrote me emails said, you barely mentioned Chubb in your story. He ran for that. And he, he kind of like, when nothing else was working, Chubb was working. And it's a good point. We do take him a bit for granted. So we had Chubb, Brissett, uh, Cooper, and Njoku making that amazing catch, which led to a question you wanted to Well, yeah, I just started thinking, I mean, that catch, I mean, it has to be one of the best catches in Brown's history. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I haven't been watching the team since 1946 or anything, but to to go up and get that ball the way he did with one hand, I mean, this is why the Browns signed him to that extension. This is what they saw him doing. And aside from that, aside from the plays he's been making, it seems like David Njoku has really become kind of one of the leaders in the locker room. He, he says, hey, we got to work harder. He's, he's saying things that you wouldn't have seen him say before, I think, in terms of leadership on the team. And it got me thinking, like, could, could this guy become the Browns version of Travis Kelsey, right? Like, I mean, Travis Kelsey is going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. And I'm not saying that David Njoku is going to be Travis Kelsey, but the kind of a tight end that when the game is on the line and it's third and 10 and you need a first down to, to keep a drive alive and win the game that, you know, you can go to this guy and you know, he's going to make the play. He's going to get open. He's going to be there and he's going to, he's going to make things happen. Do you think he could be the Browns version of that? If not Travis Kelsey himself, but just a version of that. Well, this was one of those where I was really wrong and you were higher on Nichoku than I was. And before the season, I had a casual conversation with Andrew Barry and, and he knew that I wasn't wild about the signing. Now, the contract, by the way, it looked gigantic, but it was one of those when you dig into it. It's a really good contract, but it, it was not a premier tight end type contract. There's a bunch of ways out of it. So just for the heck of it, I went and looked at Pro Football Focus. Now, it's not the ultimate rating system, but it's it's one that um, – Every single NFL team does subscribe to Pro Football Focus, and every single NFL team, in fact, subscribes to their their deepest stats. Some teams consider it more valuable than others. They rate Njoku overall. Where do you think they rate him as a tight end overall in the NFL? Fourth? Second. Huh. Behind? Kelsey. Oh, interesting. And, and as in terms of a receiver, they rank him fourth. So, with that said, analytically, they liked him. I test this year, he's passed it. 
where in the past seemed like the drops would come at the wrong point. And that and I kept being told the last two years how much his blocking improved. I just did not sit around watching tight ends block to know. But it, it still seemed to me I would not trust him in situations that matter. But now, now sometimes those tight end screens don't work and that, but he does catch the ball. He's not making the big drops. So the other thing, whether you look at these tight ends, even uh, what's the guy from San Francisco? Kittles, you know, mm-hmm. you know Gronkowski. They're big physical specimens, and they're very athletic. And the joke is that, too. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to start to see him get a little bit more national attention where he is in the company of Kelsey Kittle, those guys you mentioned. And I think that's a good thing for the Browns. I really do. And and you build this receiving core then on top of that. And uh, you don't you don't see many tight ends in the league who could make that catch. I, I can't think of more than a few. And the three we mentioned are the three probably. And yeah, maybe it Andrews, was maybe Andrews from the Ravens, mm-hmm. but that was really something. And it was a game. I mean, if that catch doesn't get made and they talked about this on the post game podcast on the orange and Brown talk podcast, oh, uh, oh. if they don't, if he doesn't make that catch, the whole outlook of everything changes. Yeah. And we're back the to this. That's the kind of things he's doing. Well, basically you're back to the skunk. I mean, you really are. Everything stinks. Yeah. That, that's, that's what, uh, that's what would happen. And Amari Cooper mentioned this. He said Njoku's right-handed, and he caught that with his left hand. It was something. I mean, I mean that's I only something. That, that's, I love when these guys who take you a little bit into their world and how they saw it more of the, man, that was an amazing catch. He goes, he caught it with his offhand. Who does that? Yeah, and how about uh, Jacoby Brissett's quote? I threw it, and I thought it was too high. I was about yeah. ready to cry. I saw him pull it down, and I could have run up and kissed him. Clearly, yeah. I didn't. <laughs> he didn't throw too high, or he didn't kiss him. Take your pick. So <laughs> I was so happy for Jacoby because it isn't just that he's a nice guy and people like him. He played well. Not super. He played well. And I looked at their seven losses, okay? Five games, they gave up 30 or more points in those losses. In the other two games, they gave up 23. So most of those, I mean, you, to my mind, no NFL team this year is even averaging 30 points a game. So you're giving up more than 30 points a game, that is a losing effort on defense, period. So there's five losses right there on the defense. And then you could argue that uh, I think one of the one was that that lost to Atlanta. Didn't he end up? That's where he had the yips at the end of the game. And he threw, I think, maybe two interceptions in that game um, right at the end. But overall, shoot, the guy's really good. He's tough. He is tough. I mean, he he takes some real shots. When uh, Jadavian Clowney comes out of nowhere and starts raving about Jacoby Brissett, because, you know, Clowney seems to always be on his own program. I'm not saying he's a bad guy or whatever, but he just kind of, I come in, I do my job, I get paid, I go home. You know, I'm not a, I'm, it's like a kid in class that, may, he always strikes me, the kid in class that maybe should get A's, and he gets like a B, B plus, so nobody will yell at him. But you always felt there's a little more there. But nonetheless, you go, well, it's still a B or B plus. All of a sudden, he comes up with this thing on Jacoby, and what a great teammate, and he's had a lot of quarterbacks. All that stuff. So um, good for him. He goes out with a win. And it also tells you, I mean, we don't know that um, Watson's going to stay healthy for the last 
uh, seven games here. Uh, I'm not wishing him ill. I'm just saying quarterbacks is the NFL. Quarterbacks get hurt. So then you have this guy that you know you could put in a game. I would love to see them sign him for next year, but I have a feeling he may be able to cash in on this. Yeah, I would say so. There's a lot of teams that are getting way worse quarterback play than he could provide. I think mm-hmm. he's, you're right. He's a he's a plus player. He's better than an average quarterback in the NFL. He's in the top half or third for sure. After yeah, the yeah, I, I mean, you know, he made himself some money. It's like where you sit there and you go, okay, we see the type of offense you should run with him. Um, you see what you could do with him. Well, you put him on a bad team, it's going to be a disaster. But that's the case with most quarterbacks. So that's, you know, that's where we're at. I was really just so pleased because even though I wrote, you know, two columns getting rid of Joe Woods, once they made the decision not to do it, and this is something I want fans to understand. It, you, as a sports writer, you have to watch this trap. So you want the team to fire somebody or trade somebody. They don't do it. Then it's easy for you to sit around and look for reasons why you're right. So to nitpick the guy to death. I'm at this point where, okay, you don't fire Woods. Fine, make it work with Woods. Because I know one thing. I'm tired of writing losing columns about the defense giving up 35 points and, you know, and, and having the worst defense in the NFL in the fourth quarter, which they do. So fine, fix it. I'm all I'm down with that too, uh, but uh, that's one of the things that sometimes when you're watching media people or that, um, they will get on their favorite things, and just to prove they're right, they kind of want whatever it is to go wrong. As and you're not to, che- you're not cheering for bad things to happen to the Browns. You're, no, you, you pointed out something, and if. If they make it work, you'll point that out too. Yeah, I did. I I gave them a ton of – I mean, I I think that my headline, I wrote defense source. I mean, I thought I'd never see that. But there you are against Tom Brady. Granted, Tampa Bay and Brady are not what they used to be, 18 points a game. But I don't care. Brady could chop you up at the end of a game against a a defense that had allowed 101 points in the fourth quarter, the most in the NFL. So I'm down with it. They went from the end of the third quarter through the fourth quarter, through the overtime, didn't allow a point. Yeah, and that's saying something against any NFL team. But you're right, Terry, though. It is going to be a season of what if the Browns come close to winning out, there's going to be so many what ifs asked about this. What if the defense had gotten its act together sooner? Yeah. What if uh, the they hadn't blown the Jets game the way they did? I mean, they mm-hmm. could they could if they win if they go on a run here, people are going to say, boy, if they just could have done one or two of those games, Atlanta, the Jets, it could have been a completely different story this season. So now, yeah, with yeah. Watson playing, this is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, I am not looking forward to the game at Houston because I just think the environment there is going to be a, a circus. Hopefully, the game itself will will not, but just yeah, with a lawyer that sued him, wanting to bring the clients in, all this stuff. I, I know all this national media is coming in. Um, it's it's not going to be very enjoyable. But they play a bad team. They're in a dome. He should play well. Um, so. so what do you want to see from Deshaun Watson on the field this Sunday against Houston at 1 o'clock, Terry? What are you looking for from him to, to, that would show you that he's on his game? I'd like to see him play um, like he did. I hesitate because it was the Eagles that they had that uh, the, the dual camp, the scrimmages. They played the Eagles. Was it not? 
uh, yes, because I think it was. Mm-hmm. And watching him kind of run some RPOs, kind of make the running backs look good, it was pretty smooth. And you could see that he would be hard to defend. Now, the blessing there is nobody was going to touch him. You know, that was it. He was, it was like flag football. But the other guys were hitting, and it was regular football there. And it looked, it looked pretty good. Now, you look at a couple of stats. Number one is, of all quarterbacks in NFL history who've thrown at least 1,500 passes, Deshaun Watson has the highest completion rating. It's like 65% or something. Now, by the way, I, I didn't like the trade and all that, but now I'm going to evaluate him as a football player, assuming he stays out of trouble you know, off the field. We're going to just look at how Deshaun does with football on the field, et cetera. So if you get a guy that's completing 65% of his passes, secondly has legs that can move. The one of the thing that, that is a concern, David, and I worry about this in the early games, is him trying to do too much with his legs, and he gets hurt. He gets sacked a lot because he keeps plays alive, and he's trying to make that just that extra second to get the receiver open, that kind of uh, thing. So that's something to watch for. Um, now, I looked at a couple other things. How does he do in the domes? You know, they remember, they played at home in domes, and on the road they weren't. Because one of my concerns, I want to see how he's going to do in cold weather. Now, I didn't have the breakdown there, but I just kind of looked home and away. And the stats were almost identical. It's like he completed 67% in the dome and 64 on the road. And the, I think it was 18 interceptions. Um, this is for a whole career at Houston. Uh, in the dome and 21 on the road. There was nothing that jumped out. So that is a good sign, too, for the Browns. But who they, think about who they play once you get past Houston. Yeah, what they have New Orleans coming up. They've got some division games but against don't they the Bengals. Don't, don't they, they go to Bengals and Baltimore back Yeah, Bengals and Baltimore uh, first, right? And then New yeah. Orleans and then the Christmas Eve game. Yep. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So you go right into the heart of the division. That will be fascinating to watch. Yeah, and I was interested during the Buccaneers game, Terry, to, it seems like Kevin Stefanski is starting to call some formations and some similar schemes that we're going to start seeing with Watson. And I, it made me think about the thing that is really interesting about what he does. And I'm going to be watching this on Sunday is he puts the defense in conflict, especially on the edge where mm-hmm. he'll roll out toward a defensive back and make that defensive back choose like, all right, are you going to come and get me and hold me, to, you know, stop me from a 10 year gain? Or are you going to drop back and cover it? Like they make the, he makes the defense choose one way or the other because of, of what he does. And I'm really looking to see how Kevin Stefanski incorporates that ability that he has to get him out in space and really just make that defense pick one or the other, and then then he takes advantage of the one that they leave open. And just Uh, in terms of an obvious thing to me is like when Jacoby Brissett faked the ball to Nick Chubb, you knew he was going to throw it. He's not going to run it. Uh, In fact, one uh, reader, and I realize – People could be reading things in a bad mood or whatever. They go, you wrote such a nice story about the Browns, and, and then you just wrote how Jacoby Brissett is not athletic. He's gritty and not pretty, and you know he relies on his intelligence and toughness. And that just that's just putting him down. No, that's lifting him up. The fact that he doesn't have a lot of athleticism 
I mean, I forgot what he ran in the combine the, in the 40. It was slow. But he's big, he's tough, he's smart. But you also know he's a drop-back quarterback if you're defending him. And whereas Deshaun, you and if Jacoby rolled out, it always kind of looked a little awkward. You know, you didn't you – didn't, I still remember that thing where they rolled him out by the goal line early in the season. And he got all – as Lenny Wilkins would say, discombobulated. That was one of his favorite words. <laughs> right. And discombobulated meant, for whatever reason, on fourth down, he threw the ball by 15 feet over everybody's head of the end zone, where he should at least give a guy a chance to catch it. But he doesn't – he didn't move. Now, you could do a lot of those things with Watson. I think Watson's mobility is going to be one of the things that uh, will surprise people, assuming, you know, he's uh, moving like he did in training camp, which he'd move very well, I thought. All right, well, Sunday kickoff, 1 o'clock down in Houston, and it'll be the beginning of the Deshaun Watson era. He's practicing with the team for the last few weeks. He's been reinstated as of Monday, and there we go. It's going to be a very interesting weekend to watch the Browns. So, All right, Terry, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Cavaliers. We'll talk a little baseball. Uh, We have some Hey Terry questions, including one from Africa, which was a big surprise. I, I was really happy to see that. People around the world are listening to our podcast, which is cool. So, And then we'll talk about your faith column, which has to do with things to do around the holidays. And we'll get into that when we return on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Let's talk some Cavaliers, Terry. It's kind of the quarter pole of the season. And the Cavs are 13-8. and eight. They're two games behind Milwaukee in the Central Division as we tape this on Tuesday afternoon. They're coming off a 100-88 loss in Toronto on Monday night. Cavs at the quarter pole. Where do you feel like they're at? And what have you liked and where are your concerns? Okay, if you look at it, a 13-8 record basically breaks down to about 52 um, wins for the season. I forgot. That might even be what I predicted on the win, 50 or 52. That's a lot of wins in the NBA. Um, and they also, it's not been a perfect first going or first quarter because you look at Garland, I think he missed six games. Um, you've seen Allen's already missing some games. Not having Love coming off the bench is a big deal for them. You could tell they miss him. Uh, Karis LeVert. Um, has been a problem, but we'll look at first from a team perspective, David. Um, okay, so they're, thir- they're they're on their way to 50 wins. If you were to look at where they rank defensively, where do you think they rank defensive efficiency? I'm going to say in the top eight. They're four. Okay. So JB got them back. Other than the five games where, what were they, the fat cats or whatever they were? Yeah, the fat cats instead of the junkyard dogs. Yeah, they went back to being, the, they got the bark back. Because even last or the other night against uh, Toronto, the problem was not the defense. It was the offense. Okay. Um, and then where do you think they are in scoring? I actually looked this uh, up I'll before say, we started yeah, taping. Go ahead. So I think they are 14th, if yeah. I remember correctly. Total okay. points. How about what they call offensive efficiency? Seventh? Yeah, exactly seventh. That was a guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that kind of takes into turnovers versus assists and things. One downside. I know this stat has to be something that uh, bothers uh, JB. And that is they have a, a stat called, like, what percentage of your shots come off of assists? 
you know, he's always talking about one extra, one and more pass. They rank 20th in that. Hmm. Uh, and I think part of it is that especially Mitchell is so good just creating his own shot that they're now, if you turn around and you look at uh, their scoring, I think what are they averaging like 111, I think, or something like that. 113 per game. Yep. Okay. 113 per game. Okay. You're getting 29 out of Mitchell and 23 out of Garland. So 52 points are coming from your two guards. Then you're getting 15 from Mobley, which is actually more than I thought he's averaging. Uh, 13 from Allen, 12 from Levert, 10 from Love. So that's actually fairly balanced scoring. Uh, I would uh, like to see just a little more of the ball going to the big guys. And maybe that will come in time. So when you look at all that stuff, uh, there was one other stat. Oh, I like this one too. They have another stat called percentage of rebounds. In other words, they just take how many rebounds are in your game, how many do the Cavaliers get? And they rank number four in that area of getting, you know, the fourth highest percentage of rebounds. I realize it's a little uh, stuck in the statistical weeds, but when you th- when you look at it overall, like you're number four in defense, you're number seven in offense, and you're number four in getting the rebounds, you know, those are the things that JB stresses. Uh, the only thing that they, they are not doing is I think you'd like to see more ball movement. Well, yeah, and I was thinking, Terry, I'm going to look this up for next week's podcast, but I cannot think of many games where the Cavs have had everybody healthy and the lineup they want. And I know that's the modern-day NBA where there's always somebody Mm. who's dinged up, but, I mean, they went from Garland's eyelid injury to Love being hurt, and Mitchell missed a game. And it just seems like it's been just, like, different guys every night getting nicked up and you know basketball, it, it really helps when you can play the same guys in the same roles for a stretch of games. People learn where their teammates' favorite spots on the floor are, how they like to post up. or And I think they've lost a little bit of that just because of the they haven't had any continuity, it seems Especially like. Especially so when you really do need Garland and Mitchell to play a lot together. Now, the cool thing is uh, JB has – almost one of them on the floor all the time because that's that's so you you can do that and Mitchell is a much better distributor uh, and ball handler setting people up when he wants to than I realize I mean this is a tough thing you played in Utah we just didn't see him I mean Mitchell right now is averaging uh, five assists a game Garland's averaging eight you look at their stats from the field by the way Mitchell shooting 49 from the field 41 on threes Garland 44 from the field 41 on threes how about this? Mobley shooting 55%. And, of course, Jared Allen, he would tell you shooting 59% is bad for him. Because, you know, he thinks he should make he's every shot. Of 60, yeah. Yeah, he's, like, he's almost like 65%. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, that really looks pretty good to me. Uh, now, a big disappointment has to be, no matter what they say, is Karis LeVert. It didn't work when he was a small forward. And then coming off the bench, now granted, he's, he's been, had some injuries. He's averaging 11 points. He's shooting both 36% from the field and 36% on threes. And what turned this whole thing around is Lamar Stevens moving in at small forward, which, okay, I'm going to take a victory lap on that one. I was advocating for that for a while. And then even though he, there's an old line that Scout told me about Dennis Rodman. He goes, ah, you can lock him in the gym for an hour, and he wouldn't, by himself he wouldn't score 20 points. Well, a Coral's a little like that. 
but he does help defensively. And when you have 52 points coming from your guards and another 28 coming from your two big men, that's 80 points right there. You don't need a ton from these other guys. Well, that leads into a question I want to ask you, Terry. So do you think this team, as it's built, has enough shooting right now? Uh, And we mentioned they're 14th in points scored at 113 per game. They're 11th in field goal percentage, Mm -hmm. 47.5, and they're 4th in three-point percentage. But then you look at last night, Isaac Okoro, I mean, they are asking him a lot to to do a lot defensively. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But last night, it goes one for 11, two points. 0 for 5 from three-point range. And and Chris Fedor wrote about this before the season. This is after they tried to rebuild his shot in the offseason. He's averaging, what, four points a game on, on I think, 37.5% shooting. I mean, he's just one guy, but do you feel like there's enough shooting on this team as it's constructed right now when everybody's healthy? Once they get Love back, yes. He is missed. And the other thing Love does, well, Love does three great things. Coming off the bench. Not good. Great. I'm talking about for bench players. Number one, defensive rebounding. He is elite as a defensive rebounder. And I'll just add this into that, his outlet passing. So that's one. Number two, he either shoots it or passes it. He keeps the ball moving. He get, You know, he's had some big assist games. And he is actually one of the few guys on the floor who knows how to throw the ball to a big guy. Maybe because he's a big guy, he knows how to do it. Number three, he can shoot. So you don't have any of that. And so right now, when they have him, and hopefully this broken hairline fracture thumb thing won't linger, um, that will help. And then he is coming back probably around January, and that's Ricky Rubio. Now, he's not a great pure shooter, but I think we saw last year, he's a winning player. And then that no, will en- and that will enable them, David, in those games where Garland can't play or Mitchell can't play, where they will have another guard. Because Rubio, remember last year when Rubio went down with a knee injury, the two players in the NBA, the the duos playing together, who had the best plus minus, is a shocking stat. The entire NBA were Rubio and Garland. So. They could play well together. I'd like to see Okoro, frankly, drive the rim a little more instead of just, I know they always say it's an open three, take it. Lenny Wilkins used to say, second Lenny Wilkins reference, but I did cover him this whole time in Cleveland, watch him in practice. Just because it's an open shot doesn't mean it's a good shot for you. See, the NBA, somewhere along the line, they lost that. It doesn't matter, you know, you're, you're 25 feet away from the rim. You're open. Shoot it. Well, maybe not. That gets back to, yes, three are better than two, but two are better than none. So go get yourself near the rim and and do that. Because I, I just – you don't need every 6'10 to 7-footer taking three-pointers. Well, and the other thing, even if he's going to the rack without the ball, Terry, yeah. like they, they, they've caught him cutting to the hoop with some great passes uh, in the mm-hmm. time he's been here. And we've seen some great dunks from him and he's, he's dangerous without the ball too. And if you spread the floor out and have him cutting 
Yeah, they can, yeah, they can get some points out of that. Yeah, so, and he's, yeah. he's strong physically. He needs to see the ball go through the rim. And so go there, get fouled. He's not awful at the foul line. Um, but will, will we have to go and realize, yeah, he was a, I forgot, six pick or whatever he was, a lottery pick. The team's changed. He's a role player. Now, if he goes out there and he's fighting with Lamar Stevens, who gets to be the junkyard dog of the day along with Jared Allen, great. That's what you need. I got two guards. They can lift up my stats. 52 points they're giving me. And they're giving me 13 assists. And between them, they're shooting 47% and 41 on threes. I need defense. That's what I need with those guys. And I need a Coral, and I need Stevens, and I need my big guys happy. So they got to get to see the ball because big men get tired of covering up defensively for these guards, and then they don't get the ball. You got to give it to them. And also, it's not as if they're helpless. Mobley and Allen are gifted scorers. Mobley still doesn't even know what he's doing. And he's, I'm, seriously, and he's averaging 15 points. You watch some games. Well, do I shoot this way, or am I going to take a fall away? He gets 15 points anyway. Yeah, and, Allen, and Allen knows exactly what he needs to do to score. All right. Well, you know, there's seven and five away from Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, and, and two of those losses, one was last night, and the other one was out west when the last game of their West Coast mm-hmm. swing. So two of those were at the end of a trip when I think their legs were gone. And if you saw the shooting last night, that yeah. was part of it. So now the Cavs will be on. They've got uh, five of their next six at home. Wednesday night at home against the Sixers. They have Orlando at home on Friday. Then they're at New York on Sunday. And then next Tuesday, Friday, and Saturday, they're home against the Lakers, Kings, and the Thunder. So pretty nice homestand coming up. And that'll be good. I'm sure they're, they're glad to be home. So, all right, Terry, let's get into some baseball here. Uh, the Guardian story of the week kind of is, uh, you know, it's kind of a quiet time. But Luke Maley did sign a one-year deal with the Reds. And that got me thinking about the catching situation for next year. We've seen, and you've mentioned Sean Murphy of the A's in some of your columns. Uh, I think some fans would like to see Sean Murphy here as the second catcher on this team to go with Austin Hedges. And there's some fans who would like to see Bo Naylor be the second catcher here with Austin Hedges. Which would you like to see? There's advantages and disadvantages to both. But um, I don't know. What pairing would you like to see with the Guardians in 2023? Well, ideally, I'd like to have Sean Murphy and Naylor. The question is what you're going to have to give up to get Murphy because the A's are running an auction on him. Uh, a lot of teams want him because he is uh, a goal guard caliber catcher with some power and uh, good with pitchers. He's all that stuff that I heard Frank Connell loves him. Uh, you know, the, the Guardians, it's like these guys should all be in the CIA or something. I mean, you could waterboard them. They're not telling you what they're doing. They, they're, they're just that. And remember, they are the ultimate under-promise, over-deliver organization. That's how they look at it. And so, you, But I do know for a fact Francona loves Murphy. And Francona loves defensive catchers. So fans who want Contreras, I'd be shocked if they brought him in. They don't consider him that good defensively. And so they're going to look at catchers who are very good, calling the game, working with pitchers. And that's why if that falls apart, you may end up seeing Austin Hedges back to Tudor Naylor. Antonetti, Chris Antonetti and I were talking oh, about a week or so ago, just casually, where, of course, he wasn't telling me anything about Sean Murphy or whatever. But when it came to Minewer, his guy, he said, 
how many catchers? You're talking 20 homers, 20 doubles, and he's good defensively. He's gone out and learned conversational Spanish so that he could talk to the pitchers. He says, and, and he's kind of, he's a quieter version of Josh, which Josh Naylor, of course, everybody is. Uh, there's only one Josh Naylor. But he's got that same, you know, effervescent personality and wanting and loving the team. And that, and that's, Chris also said his, uh, the young, there's a younger brother who's, I forgot whether he's just coming out of high school or whatever. I guess he's another hot, he could be the third Naylor taken in the first round of the draft. That is something. That is something. So, so yeah, Terry, you know, the uh, Sean Murphy stats last year, just for, to give people some background, sure. Twenty. it was his 27-year-old season, uh, 18 home runs, 66 RBI, 250 batting average, and a 332, I'm sorry, a 759 OPS, 759 OPS. So Sounds like catcher, Johnny Bench and his prime yeah, compared to what we've been watching. And the big question, and you've said this, is what would they have to give up and the price yeah, might be too high. So Bo I mean, is not a bad option for sure. No, he isn't. If they didn't have him, I think they would be more likely to, you know, dig really into one of the top prospects, you know, like Gavin Williams or something like that. He's got, I believe uh, Murphy's got three more years before becoming a free agent. So he's now in those arbitration years. He'll start to get pretty expensive. Uh, so I'm curious to see what they're going to do with Ahmad Rosario. Now he's clearly they will keep him. I think he his arbitration number is around nine million. But will they try to sign him for a two or three year contract? I would. I mean, I'm not going to spend a ton of money on him, but I would. I would say, okay, what do you want? I know you got these younger guys going, but are you really going to find a younger guy that hits around 280 and gives you the you know some power? Lisa League and triples and just fits, you know, the, how they are in character. And I mean, Ahmad Rosario is right behind uh, Jose in terms of veteran leadership on that team. I mean, they, they combine and they police the, you know, police the clubhouse a little bit in that. And remember when Fran Mil Reyes was driving them all nuts, those veterans were telling Francona, you got to, he's got to shape up or get out of here. He doesn't fit. And, so that's they how they want there. it. And they yeah. got him out of there. And and this is credit to uh, the front office. Your temptation would be he's kind of the last thing standing from the Trevor Bauer deal. And he did hit 37 homers one year and 30 another. And maybe we can get him shaped up or whatnot. But they sensed that something was going on this year, very positive. And it was really – a. You know, it's talking about good clubhouse guys and things that you hear from uh, Francona. Well, well, basically, Fran Mill just didn't work hard at all. That's what it comes down to. All right, Terry. Well, the winter meetings are coming up in December, and you know how it goes every year. Some of the dominoes start to fall at that mm-hmm. point. Free agents, some trades, and then uh, the teams will start to set their rosters. We should start to see the beginning of that here in the next few weeks. So, all right, let's talk about your faith in UConn this week, Terry. You did a list, and it's coming out Saturday on cleveland.com and Sunday in the Plain Dealer, your list of things to do around the holidays. And you went to your ace consultant on this one, your wife, Roberta, and you put together a list of things, 
that people should try to do around the holidays. Uh, why don't you kind of talk well, about sort of deal, yeah. how to deal with the holidays and the stress that comes from it and, and just some different ideas. I mean, number one is, you know, it, for many people, holidays are religious significance. Well, you know, make the main thing the main thing. Uh, we can get lost in what food to eat and what presents to have, and you lose Christmas, you lose Hanukkah, you know, you lose those things in there. No, that's what you want it to be about. You know, secondly, you're going to end up probably at some place with some people you don't like a whole lot. So don't look to be offended. Because sometimes, I'm, I've, over the last couple decades, I've gotten a lot better th- of, on this. But when I was younger, it's like some, if it's a person I didn't like a whole lot, if I felt they were breathing the same air as me, I was getting offended. They didn't even have to say anything, you know, because there's all this history coming up. And also what happens when you have these uh, events is here come the relatives, you know, these people you're locked in the elevator with for your life. So you just old feuds and things. And, you know, there was a, you got to be really old to remember the bit. There was a Smother Brothers show, and it was like Tom and Dickie Smothers were the host, and the whole they had this whole thing on. Mom liked you best. No, Mom liked you best. You know, and it, it goes around. It's very interesting when you talk to siblings. They all think some other sibling was like best by their parents as opposed to them. So if you listen to them, either the parents liked everybody the same, or they didn't like anybody best. I'm not really sure, but they never say, "Oh yeah, really." I think Mom did like me best. So those are just a, a couple of things there. You know, gift when it came to buying gifts, people get hung up on it. Uh, generally, two things work very well, money and gift cards. Now, sometimes people are so picky about gifts and that, but uh, I mean, I tend to give gift Like I have some friends that they don't have a lot of money. So you either do cash or they don't go out to eat. So you get one of those gift cards with, uh, you know, five restaurants on it and, they get so excited. Oh, this is great. We haven't been out back for so long. And, you know, man, we got the steak. And so those are just things that I think ex- what I call kind of experienced gifts, um, really, as opposed to, gee, that's a really nice ornament for their Christmas tree. They already have 50 of them. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of which ones uh, that kind of I pulled out that resonated with me. And I thought number 10 was a good one. There's only one of you. Yeah. And one of the most valuable things that we own, Terry, is our time. And mm-hmm. you can't be everywhere. And it's so easy to get, and as you put, as you point out, to get pulled in different directions and you're just worn out. So really be cognizant of where you're going to spend your time and how you're going to spend it. That's an important decision. And, and you don't put too much on yourself to uh, try to make everybody happy all the time because you'll, you'll just wear yourself out. I thought that was. And really I mentioned good. one of the priorities should be, especially, um, the demographics probably of the people reading me tend to be middle-aged and above. I'm sure, I'm sure there's younger too, but um, every year we look back and we've lost people and we wish that we had gone to see them. Maybe they're uh, like a friend of my father, Dominic from Benedict. And I kept thinking, um, I forgot, not, not only when he were, I can't remember where they died right before last Christmas or the Christmas before, and he was at Regina nursing home, and I should—I hadn't seen him in years. I should have gone out there. I would talk to him every month on the phone, but just should have went to see him. And those are those are things like that to think of. Uh, you know, Joe Tay was a good friend of mine. I lost him, Les Levine. Uh, fortunately, with them, I stayed in pretty good contact. But we all have those. So the, 
keep the older ones in mind too when you're prioritizing. I'm going to say something else, and this is a lot to not always with women, but the generalization is some women feel like when they cook or have people in their house, it's got to be perfect. And they're hearing in their head the voice of their mother or grandmother or somebody. I got news for you. That person that you, whose voice you're hearing, they're never going to be totally pleased with whatever it is you do. You will not be perfect. So just stop. Good advice, Terry. And so just to quick reminder, you can read that Saturday, Terry's Faith in You column online or in the Plain Dealer on Sunday. So, all right, Terry, we got, we got a few minutes here for some Hey Terry questions. I think we're doing all right on time. So this one is from Doug Meredith, who's from Akron. And Doug says, Hey, Terry, this is not a question, but an observation about the Browns season. Andrew Berry was right to move on from Baker Mayfield, and the Browns might get the better end of the deal in the trade with Carolina. Who would have said that last summer? What do you think of that? I'm shocked at how poorly Baker played. I just I thought he would um, revive himself and at least be like a middle of the pack quarterback. And I still get these emails kind of defending him. And I, but he was really bad, and he got balls blocked, you know, batted down. And I just wonder if he just between all the injuries and everything else, I call it you know the Clevelandization of quarterbacks. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks get destroyed here. In fact, name a quarterback who came through the Browns and left here and played really well afterwards, say at least since the team came back. I'm going through names in my head. The only one who even remotely fits that description might be Derek Anderson. I don't know. Yeah, he played for quite a while as a backup. Some of these guys back. I mean, Colt McCoy is still a backup. Um, I want to say Garcia might have squeezed a couple of good years somewhere else after he left here, but it wasn't like somebody went on to you know five years as a starter or something. After they've been here, they get beat up, all that. And of course, he goes to Carolina. It's Cleveland all over again. Coaching change, mess, all that kind of stuff. The, he was correct. I mean, actually, and the guy I wanted them to get if they were going to do a rental was Matt Matt Ryan, and he's not played that well. So Jacoby Brissett was by far the best option. He really was. And uh, just to reset that trade for everybody, uh, the Mayfield trade with between the Browns and the Panthers, the Browns get a conditional 2024 fifth-round draft pick, and that can become a fourth if Mayfield has – if he plays in 70% of the Panthers offensive snaps. And I checked right before we started taping Terry um, with everything that's been going on with him down in Carolina, he's played 55% of the snaps. So I don't know yeah. if he's going to make that 70. So it looks like it will end up a fifth round pick in 2024. But um, so those are the details details on that. All right. Next question. Hey, Terry, this is Michael Gerba. I hope I said your last name, right? Michael from Nairobi, Kenya. Wow. The Browns special teams, while they had a couple of good returns in the game against Tampa Bay, almost also almost cost the Browns the game with the missed <laughs> field goal. Mike Prefert needs to be replaced at the end of the season, but who might be a candidate to replace him? I know Phil Dawson is the head coach of a high school team, the Hyde Park Panthers down in Austin, Texas. Is there any way the Browns could call would call him up to coach some special teams for them next year? Thanks for all your coverage. It's not always easy getting to see Cleveland sports coverage in Kenya. So I appreciate your weekly podcast to keep me up to date. Thanks for writing, Michael. It was great to hear from you. 
you've talked to Phil Dawson a lot over the years. Do I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think he he, you know, Phil's faith is very strong, and he feels really called to work with young people, and that's why he's done this high school thing. Um, I mean, Phil, if he wanted to, he could be kind of one of these guru of kickers. You know, these guys that just like they have quarterback trainers. He could be a kicker trainer and that, but he's really more interested in in that. Uh, I'd have to look to see if he's still around and would want to coach. The best special teams coach that came through here was Brad Seeley. And he is tremendous. He's not a younger guy, but um, he was here with Mangini, and he was with New England for years. Uh, he's a guy that I really like. And um, I'm going to, I'm just kind of checking right now to see where he is. Um, because he would be a guy that I would offer a lot of money to and and see what what is going on with him. He's 66 years old and it looks to me like he is available. He was at Houston in 2020, so which I would call Brad at the very least I would bring him in as a consultant. Or something, say, because this stuff has to be fixed. Now, we go back to the coaching staff a bit. Prefer was with Stefanski in Minnesota. Now, he was hired here before Stefanski came, but there's a connection there. So he's been kind of reluctant. And, and remember, uh, Woods, Joe Woods was also with him in Minnesota. Uh, now, Woods came from the 49ers. So, I don't believe Kevin has fired anyone yet. Well, it's time. And you wait to the off season and, and see. Uh, and I also, I know people are getting down on Cade York and that, but I think he's got a chance to be really good. You just have to work it through. I do too. And it's always tough being a rookie and they're going to give him some time. So, all right, Terry, we're up against it. I do want to get this one more in because it's a little time sensitive. This is from longtime friend of the podcast, Caleb Mackey. And I'm going to summarize the top part of it. He he, he writes about how he's going to, he's having trouble accepting Watson as the face mm-hmm. of the franchise. But he says, I'm sure going to miss Jacoby Brissett. I'm already feeling sentimental about the Brissett era, which has me thinking about my favorite QBs since the Browns have come back. I've included my top five QBs. My list is very sentimental. As okay. I tried to value the guys who were fun to watch and even more fun to pull for. And okay. his top five from Caleb Mackey is number five, Derek Anderson. Number four, Kelly Holcomb. Number three, Jacoby Brissett. Number two, Baker Mayfield. And number one, Brian Hoyer. And he says, Terry, who are your top five? Um, I don't know if okay, you want to list I would... all five or if there's just a couple. I didn't mean to put you on the spot here. No, that's fine because he laid all that out. Um, I would certainly um... – well, I would sub out Derek Anderson. I put Couch in there. Uh, I, I watched for Couch. Couch might even be number one in terms of sentimental value. You know, the guy that goes first and took the beating that he did. Um, and then um, Holcomb. Holcomb. When Holcomb was hot, he was fun to watch. Uh, the other, uh, Jacoby, so that's three. Hoyer, we got Hoyer's four. 
maybe Brady Quinn. I don't know who else. What was his five again? Read him again. Baker Mayfield. You, the four you just. Well, Anderson, I would leave. Ba- I would leave Baker. Uh, no, I gotta. I gotta put Baker on that list somewhere because he did win some, and and now he's been trashed since this. So that the, see, because I like what he's th- saying. It's a sentimental thing. It's not just that, but you know, Kosh took a fair amount of criticism and an incredible amount of of. Um, physical beating. I've written in two of my books, long chapters on Kosh, just because I, I think he is a guy that is a true Brown that isn't fully appreciated. He never played a game after the age of 26. And he list. just had everything. I like that. I really like that. That's a good one. Yeah. Thanks for that question, Caleb, uh, Caleb from Columbus. And we always love hearing from you. So keep the questions coming. Uh, if you want to send us a question to get on next week's podcast, send it to sports at cleveland.com. And oh, we have one hey, more. Terry. I got I got one. Oh, hey, you got Terry. one more. Okay. Kathleen uh, Thompson, or another friend of the, say, friend of the show, uh, <laughs> she was just excited about Lamar Stevens. And I think she kind of wanted to know, well, why is he so good? Uh, why does he fit so well? And that is because he's not, unlike Okoro, he's not a total wash on offense. He'll make a shot now and then. He'll score some. And he just – I love how JB talks about players on defense. He said he has a way of getting his chest out and keeping the player in front of him without fouling. He says that's not easy to do. And he'll guard anybody. I mean, he's, he plays like it really – like he's on the verge of getting cut every game, probably because he's felt that way being undrafted out of Penn State. And finally, a cool thing about Lamar Stevens, he is the second-leading scorer in Penn State history. He was an offensive player in the Big Ten, and he totally converted to find this role for him. And so good for him, and it's a good question from uh, uh, Kathleen Thompson, too. All right, yeah, thank you for that one. And again, just to give you the email, if you want to send a question in or a comment, sports at cleveland.com. And now that we've gone international, we want to hear from even more people from all over the world. So send them all in. Um, Oh, another plug real quick. We would love it if you would subscribe to cleveland.com. If you can, if you can go to the the easiest way to do it. I always just send people to the cleveland.com slash Browns page. If you go to the blue banner at the top of the page, it'll show you how to subscribe and you can get access to everything on cleveland.com plus a Browns newsletter. And we also have a texting service that you can text with reporters who cover the team in real time. So check that out. Just a couple of plugs. Terry, do you have any library appearances coming up? I know the holidays. Not until January. So so that'll be that. And uh, I've got one at the music box in January and then some uh, other ones coming up after that. So great. We'll get some of those dates and and let you know about that. Uh, That'll do it for today. Got anything else? That's it. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you next week. Don't let any skunks cross your skunks. I keep don't let them cross your path. They're they're dangerous. They're smelly if you get yes. behind them. So don't don't make a skunk this. mad. That's right. And we'll see I should you next put week. that on the holiday things. Don't make a skunk mad. <laughs> we'll catch you next week on Terry's talking. <laughs> <laughs>